You and I went bowling exactly one month yep. out of surgery, getting days. the replacement. You've got this new knee. You celebrate it by posting it on Facebook, but when you posted on Facebook taking a picture of the scoreboard, I you did I not know, do I think I know any, where you're going. You did not do any editing. Now it says H in terms of the bowler. Down at the bottom of the screen, you can see clearly Hartley. And so you've got this adequate score. I'm sitting there with a lame cheap. I've like barely broke a hundred. And so that just infuriates me. So I've had it with you. I've had it with it's, you. It's fair. I'm, I'm, I will never forgive you. That's, That's it. Understandable. That's it. I, I can't go on. I understand your anger. Welcome to the Faith, Finances, and F-Bombs podcast, where we inspire you to manage your money, Find your soul and cover your ears. I'm telling you, you're lucky I'm still sitting here doing a podcast with you. I thought about just yeah, I can understand mixing our relationship into the whole contract. This is a, a, a weak defense, but I knew that we had put in just our first initials. I never thought about the bottom having your actual name in there. Yeah, well, no, you didn't. You didn't think about it. Still, let's move on. Yeah, let's move on. What do you think is one of the worst television shows ever made? That would be difficult for me to answer because I'm sure I probably didn't watch it. I listen to quite a few true crime related podcasts. And so one of the podcasts that I've listened to in the last few years is Welcome to Your Fantasy. I was thinking about something in that. So I Googled a search so I could refresh my memory about one of the incidences in that. And when I did, I saw this topic, the 50 worst TV shows of all time, according to TV Guide. Can you give us the top 10? So number 10, Hee Haw Honeys. I can't even talk about that. I never saw that. Nine. Oh my gosh. I can't believe this isn't the top 10 worst shows. The Jackie Gleason show. The Flintstones yeah. pretty much copied everything from. That was from the Honeymooners, right? Oh, I'm thinking of the Honeymooners. That's what I thought of. And these, the Jackie Gleason yeah, show. Yeah. Okay. So that makes more sense then. I should have read the description. Uh, this is why it's in the top 10 worst live variety show with Jackie Gleason. Number eight is Cop Rock. The musical adventure. Yeah, and I remember that. I never watched it, but I remember the promos for that. Do you show. really? I, yeah, don't, I, thought, I don't. I thought to myself when I saw the promos, that's got to be one of the dumbest shows ever. <laughs> yeah, the musical adventures and of a police force. Wasn't it produced by a big name producer? Steven Bochco. Yeah. Yeah, Steven Bochco. He did, uh, I don't know what he did first, but he was a creator. He was a co creator of Hill Street Blues, yeah. which was phenomenal. Yes. Uh, and groundbreaking in and terms I, of. I think rock. that's how they got the concept through to the production stage. But I just remembered the promos for it and I went, there's no way I'm watching that. Yeah. That, I didn't even know this existed. Well, now you know why. 1990. Well, uh, it wasn't on my radar at all. Mm. I was busy 1990 the entire year. No, I was, I, I don't know that I watched much TV at all. I think I took that year off. Yeah. Seven was After MASH, which ran for two years, 1983 to 85. I was, as you know, Kevin, a massive fan of MASH. And I did watch After MASH when it aired because it, had, it came out just after MASH went off the right. air. Right. Celebrity boxing, number six. Number five. Oh, I don't like seeing this because my wife, my wife doesn't like this show at all. Hogan's Heroes. Hogan's Heroes made the top ten yeah. worst shows. I would think there'd have to be a lot worse shows than that. I would think there would be. I'm sure there are worse than Hogan's Heroes. Oh. I'm not putting it up as a high a high caliber show. <laughs> it's not Hill Street Blues, but I'm not going to say it's worth this. Number four, the Brady Bunch Variety Hour. Never saw that. Never should have been that. Number three, XFL Football League, <laughs> 2001. 
that version of X. Well, that's the only XFL. Number two, My Mother the Car. Story of a relationship between a man and his mother, the latter having been reincarnated as a 1928 Porter automobile. My Mother the Car. It ran for two seasons. Wow. Made it. It got renewed? Number one, The Jerry Springer Show. Wow, number one. I wouldn't have put that as number one, but I can understand why TV Guide would put it there. Uh, I'm sure ratings and things probably had something to do with the influence of this list. Jerry Springer just passed away. That's a little sad because he was not the type of person that everyone would figure him to be based on that show. Gotcha. Here is a comment from our listener, John. From Chicago. Because I've listened to all of your podcasts, enjoyed them a lot, especially our Lent discussion and talk on the soul. I even agree with Kevin's financial advice, which is pretty rare for this individual. And his wife likes it too. Um, says my wife likes it too. I guess we are up to six listeners now. So does this so I guess because John has made that declaration, should I start saying six listeners? I guess we can Yeah, we can let's do that. let's modify our, our speech. Why don't you share a little bit about the financial world? I know there's not much, yeah, not much uh, happening, but um, what is uh, what's got everyone up in arms right now? Debt ceiling. No kidding. Yeah, there is a shocker. The debt ceiling is the the latest fear that we've all turned our attention to. I've started to get some texts and phone calls about it. I can't tell you for sure what's going to happen. All I can tell you, this happens every time we're up against this. Both sides become petulant children stick around with their debates and threats and they always end up getting it done. Sometimes they let us go into default national parks, close those care right. checks get delayed, that kind of crap, but they always end up fixing it. It just irritates me that we have to go through this every single time. It's like, come on, this isn't something that just comes out of the blue. Like, I don't know, well, COVID-19 or tsunamis or whatever. They, they, they always know when this is happening. Well, haven't that we dick around to the last minute all the time. So if you're out there and you're worried about it, all I can tell you is it will get raised. It always does. The consequences of not doing it far outweigh the consequences of having the debt. So it will get done. Will it get done before we have late night negotiations and deal making? I don't know. It should, but it wouldn't surprise me if we go into default for a week or so, and then they come through with an emergency meeting and they figure it out and we we move on. That's all I got to say about that one. I understand why you'd be concerned. And my advice to you is don't let it occupy too much of your mental space. It'll get, it'll get fixed. Transitioning to the Fed now, because I saw a headline right before I came here, that they're now betting, let's be the markets, or betting, that the Fed is going to cut rates sometime later this year. Oh. On that note, I would say to you, don't bet the farm on that. I, I would not. I'm surprised to hear that. <laughs> yeah. I started hearing rumors about it before the last Fed meeting. I'm like, that's highly improbable. So my confidence level in that actually happened in 2023 would be minimal. Not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying my confidence level would be very small that the Fed's going to cut rates this year. I have a much higher confidence level that they're just going to pause and let them sit. Which is what I was expecting. That's what I would expect. So where, where this idea started floating around that they were going to cut rates, someone read the statement and probably produced a newsletter to their clients and said, we think that they're going to cut rates. Well, somebody else picks up on that and kind of gains some momentum, but I just don't see that happening. Inflation came in lower again last month, but it's still at 4.9%, which is above the Fed target. They're not going to cut rates if inflation's at 5%. I think we're in for a pause. That's what, if I was a betting man, that's what I'd bet on. My advice to you would be, 
don't expect a rate cut. If I had to put odds on it, I'd say it's somewhere between 1% and 10% that we're going to rate cut. Probably more likely that we're just going to stay the course for a while and see what the data says. And I don't have a problem with the Fed saying that, saying, I don't know hey, why we don't know. That. We don't know what it's going to look like. We're actually going to react to the data. As a data person, I'm perfectly fine with them saying, let's see what the data says. Do you think it because they're federal that, that there's a hesitation in them not doing that? I don't know. I think just because the bureaucratic system and you have outside influence, things like the markets, personal stories about bankruptcies and whatever else related to high inflation. Can't afford your medicine, right? But politicians like to talk about that. My constituents have to make a decision on whether to turn on their lights or take their, their medicine. Yeah. Tough place to be in. So I think there's a lot of pressure. It, it's a very complex system. Anytime you have complexity in the system, one little variable has an effect. And there's lots of variables and they're constantly changing. We like certainty. We want to be told. Absolutely. And we have a collective fear that yeah. has to be put on something. Yeah. You know, I've made this. Uh, comparison before in my old Kevin's commentary newsletter I used to send out where I talked about weather forecasting and market forecasting. So I'm going to pick on weather forecasting now. In the part of the country we live in, it's very volatile. I mean, the, the joke around here, people, if you don't live in the Midwest is, hey, if you don't like the weather, just wait a few minutes. Once again, weather is a complex system. Because of that, it's very difficult to predict with any accuracy. So now take that to the markets. Well, Let's just use our most recent forecast, right? We haven't had, we had the second driest April on record in Columbia, Missouri. Okay. We are now back into moderate drought because we've had so little, we didn't get any snow in the winter and now we have very little rain. So we were supposed to get rain, I don't know, a couple of days ago, right? So you, you watch your, your forecast, you pull it up on your phone and you're like, oh, I see on the 10 day forecast, it's supposed to rain in seven days. <laughs> so you start planning your life around that. Exactly. Well, day seven gets here. And we get no rain, exactly. and, and all of a sudden you get pissed. You're like, well, I thought it was going to rain. I didn't run my, my sprinkler system because it's supposed to rain. Does that mean? That feels like the same thing that's going on with the Fed. We, we want them to tell us this is going to happen, and they have no way of accurately predicting it. And I, it's impossible. No. Shall we play trivia? Yes. Here's our choices of topics. Dictionary, entertainment, history, food and drink, geography, science and nature. I'm leaning toward either entertainment since we just did a worst 50 shows. That makes sense. Let's go with entertainment. All right. since, uh, here we go. Question one. Which actor was famous for the line, I could have been a contender? It's got to be De Niro. It's uh, Oh, sorry. No, uh, Brando. Marlon Brando from On the Waterfront. I agree. All right. Question two. Who starred as Tolian Saran? Maybe it's pronounced Soran. S-O-R-A-N. Soran. Soran, in the 1994 film Star Trek Generation. I'm going to need multiple choice because I have no clue. Malcolm Fraser, Malcolm McLaren, Malcolm McDowell, Malcolm X. Clearly his name was Malcolm. <laughs> Do we just have to say Malcolm? That gives point. Let's eliminate well, Malcolm let, X. Yeah, I think we, he was dead by then. <laughs> and let's eliminate McDowell. He was Wouldn't the that be of fair? Apes, guys, right. right? I would think unless this character is really, really old. Yeah. I'm going to go with the first guy. I will concur, and it's not. Second guy? Malcolm McLaren. Not the second guy. Malcolm McDowell? It could have been. It was Malcolm McDowell. Question three. Which actor was born in Texas in 1967 and portrayed Ray Charles in Ray? I think we know this. Samuel L. Jackson, Jamie Foxx, Lou Gossett, Jim Brown. Fox. Jamie Foxx. I think all our listeners probably knew that as well. What movie begins with the line? Uh, I believe he did. All right, what movie begins with the line? Oh my gosh. We may we're gonna go to a much more difficult trivia okay. after today. What movie begins with the line? 
I believe in America. <laughs> the Godfather. Yeah. Yeah. We were, no, we, no need going through the other choices. Where, the, where the character was not the Godfather that was saying it. That's right. Yeah. Well, he was at his at his desk telling the story about the daughter. Yeah. Where was the workplace of Quincy in the TV series? You mean like which city? Or are you talking about medical examiner? Um, well, you said it, Merit Medical Examiner. So that was that was the show. Quincy M E. M E. The medical examiner works in Just assume it was a medical examiner. It, well, and the medical another name for a medical examiner is Coroner. Oh, coroner's office. office. Okay, got you. That's kind of a weird question yeah. to have it that way. Which actor appeared in both... Hey, we've got uh, Tarantino. Yay! Which actor appeared in both Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs? Bruce Willis, John Travolta, Samuel L. Jackson, or Harvey Keitel? I believe I know this. I'm going to go with Keitel. And that would be who I would say? Because he was the cleaner in Pulp Fiction. That's right. And we are right. Which actress played Storm in the X-Men movies? I know this one. Oh, I might know this one. This is multiple choice? Multiple choice. Okay, hit me. Karima Adebibi. I don't know how to say that last name. No, can't be. Angelina Jolie. Pamela Anderson. Allie Berry. Allie. Are correct. Which Monty Python comedian wrote and appeared in the series Ripping Yarns? Graham Chapman. John Cleese. Michael Palin. Eric Idle. The natural instinct is to go with Eric Idle or John Cleese if you do not know. I would my I was forced to answer this on a test, I would say Eric Idle. Eric Idle we will go with, and Eric Idle would be wrong. So yeah. then we would naturally go to John Cleese and we would be wrong. My third choice would be Michael Palin. And Michael Palin it is. Alright. Famous French artist Degas. Degas. Says the guy with the Las Vegas shirt on. No wonder you thought it was Degas. <laughs> It's yeah. it's the Las Vegas collection. <laughs> Famous French artist Degas. <laughs> I didn't even look. I was reading without even really thinking about what I was reading. My it mind, happens. My mind was, I was reading so fast, I didn't read famous French artist or I would have said Degas. Thank you, Kevin. You're welcome. <laughs> Mainly painted what subjects? Cats, nudes, dancers, or cherubs? I would like to point out, I did not even pronounce Degas. Yeah, so, I'm not a French art expert but if I had to guess I would guess nudes I don't know why I want to say can't be cats right cherubs tell me it's not cats so it's either dancers or cherubs go with dancers honestly I would have picked cherubs and you would have been correct dancers is right were they nude dancers I have no idea in the treasure island song how many men were on the dead man's chest how many men were on the dead man's chest? That's a chest? yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Uh, it might be. Oh yeah, from Treasure Island. What are, what are our choices? Fifty, five, twenty-five, or fifteen. None of them sound like musical numbers to me. I'm just gonna say fifteen. Fifty sounds like a lot. I bet it's not fifteen, but we'll go with fifteen. Oh, it was fifteen. Lucky guess. Seventy-nine points. Okay. We were correct on our first attempt, seven out of ten. We'll do that at least one more time, but I'll find a okay. very, very, very good, incredible quiz. I have a thought, and I we didn't talk about this. I'm kind of interested in taking our the faith portion of the episode and the F-bomb portion of the episode and tying them together, and maybe perhaps talk about favoritism. Hmm. 
Okay. Maybe. I just thought coming into today's episode, I was thinking about a faith topic, and of course it can go all over the place. I guess I had some interactions recently. I don't know how to preface it. I don't know how to say why I'm pulling this up. Well, I remember us talking about it before. We talked about within our family structures, and probably other family structures, if there's more than one child, there seems to be a favorite. And then you and I talked about what the Bible says about it. Right. The Bible has 16 scriptures addressing favoritism. And there are three types of favoritism God is against, showing special treatment to a particular person or persons based on their social standing. So we're warned not to show favoritism to the wealthy and powerful. That's one example. God doesn't like exploiting a particular person or persons for self-serving means, gain, or reward. Social injustice and manipulating a particular system. That's why that's a big deal. But then there's this type of favoritism that many people don't think about, and that's demonstrating a dysfunctional cycle of parental preferential treatment in a family. And so we'll call that, I'll call that the generational sin of favoritism. So those are the three types that he doesn't like. And this third type is where we can pull out examples left and right of the other two, but we tend to shy away from the third because it usually has some resonance with us in some way, shape, or form. Early on in our catalog, in episode two, we had that whole discussion about goodness being consistent with the nature of God. Right. Here, with this topic, this would be inconsistent with the nature of God. That's what I think we get from the scriptures, that inconsistent with the character of God, probably more precise. So favoritism is contrary to God's values. Impartiality is one of God's attributes, and favoritism is a sin. Book of James 2 verse 9 says, if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. I guess I'll just speak personally because my family of origin is no longer with us. I probably would be inclined to say that there wasn't favoritism shown, but there was favoritism shown toward my brother. My sister died when I was very young, and when I was 12, my brother was in an accident that left him disabled. He was paralyzed. He had the favoritism because of his needs. That's how it was always presented. After my dad died, my mom just said, hey, I'm giving everything to your brother because he needs it more. He can't, you know, he's... Actually, I I didn't get any favoritism from my mom because she said, I'm just going to leave you my car. And then as she was approaching her death, because she had leukemia, so we knew it was coming. So she tells me one day, hey, you don't need a car. You don't need another car. You've got enough cars. Like I'm Jay Leno with a garage full of cars. Says, you don't need another car. Give that car to your cousin, Gina. And now that we're into this, I don't know that I want to keep on going. But here's, here's what I will say. I can talk about how favoritism, how I've seen favoritism play out in my extended family. I can, I've already mentioned how it played out in mine personally. Just as you could, you could talk about you seeing it play out in your family, and I've seen it played out in the family that I've married into. I think what would probably serve us better is just to see how favoritism really doesn't work out by looking at a biblical example. Maybe we'll go with that. So from an examination of the scriptures, we can see lasting consequences of favoritism, how it can tear families apart and impact generations. And this all starts with Abraham. Right now, listener, you may be thinking of that song, Father Abraham Had Many Sons. and many sons. I don't know how popular that song is. You know that song? I do not. You do not? It came with motions of everything you could uh, do. Sorry. Yeah, you could move your legs and your arms and your... Quite, I'm, I'm quite sure, an active sure little fun song. Aerobic as well. 
Right. Abraham's son, Isaac, grandson, Jacob, and great-grandson, Joseph, all suffered from the generational sin cycle of favoritism. In case you're not aware, God had chosen Abraham to be the keeper of his covenant with man, and Abraham was to become the father of all nations. Abraham chose Isaac as his heir instead of his older son, Ishmael. Ishmael's mom's favorite was also Isaac. So both parents favored Isaac over Ishmael. Isaac marries Rebekah. They waited two long decades to have twins, Esau and Jacob. Isaac's favorite was Esau. Rebecca's favorite was Jacob. The favoritism between Esau and Jacob fed the sibling rivalry between them. Jacob desperately wanted Esau's birthright as the firstborn son. Esau traded the birthright for soup because the Bible tells us Esau despised his birthright. That's recorded in Genesis 25. And so later, when Isaac is dying, Rebecca helps Jacob trick Isaac into believing that Jacob is Esau. This treachery allowed Jacob to receive the blessing that belonged to Esau. Jacob had two wives, Leah and Rachel. Jacob really loved Rachel. However, he was tricked into marrying Leah first, and God blessed her with many sons. Rachel struggled to have any children, and Joseph was Rachel's first and only son for years. So Jacob and Rachel favored Joseph. Genesis 37 says Jacob loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. Joseph remained the favorite and his brother's resentment and hate were so strong that they sold him into slavery and told their father that his beloved son was dead. There's three things I can say here. The effects of Isaac and Rebekah's favoritism shaped each of their sons and set them up as adversaries to each other. Rebecca lied to her husband because of her favoritism. Rebecca harmed her other son because of her favoritism. Isaac and Rebecca passed on a generational curse that would haunt their children and grandchildren. Leah knew from the beginning that she was considered less pretty and less loved than her sister. Although Leah didn't have the undecided love of her husband, God blessed her with many sons. But sadly, she tried to prove her worth through the sons she bore while Rachel struggled to have any children. And Jacob's favoritism to Rachel extended to Joseph and the rest of the family knew it. Jacob's favoritism continued to plague his family and his wife should have been united as sisters, but instead they each felt like they had to battle for Jacob's love and affection. And Jacob's sons should have been united as a family, but the favoritism fractured their relationships as well. You know, we've got the faith side of that, but it also hits close with family. So we, if you want, we can get into verses that talk about that from a biblical standpoint of why we shouldn't show favoritism to children. I mean, that's a good example. How about you throw those verses in the show notes? Yeah, I can do that. Anyway, for the listener that wants to pinpoint it down and do some research, they've got it right there. What can I say to be hopeful? I can say that God can help you break, the, break that generational cycle. Joseph went from the favorite child to a slave. Yet God redeems his story by making him the second most powerful in Egypt to be able to punish his brothers or to bless his brothers. He chose to bless. He decided to seek reconciliation and healing in that action. I think he's breaking that generational sin. He's at least breaking the dysfunction. And I do want to say dysfunction comes natural to us. It can be hurtful and there can be wounds and those can be hard to overcome. Yeah. You know, God created families as an extension of him. And we're all part of his family, but in our fallen world, we are born in a natural state and can only be redeemed by our creator. And so that's why God can help us trying to think of a way to provide some encouragement. Otherwise, this is just a downer. (laughs) Well, I think the encouragement is there's hope, there's redemption, there's maturity as we grow in Christ. You know, I've got two brothers. I'm in the middle of three. I think about the sibling rivalries we've had for as long as I can remember. Mike's 60, I'll be 60 in October, and Mark's 58. So we're all pretty close in age, and it just seems like this has always been a part of our dynamic. 
I will say that as we've all gotten older and more mature, and probably we have made decisions about the things that we want to be about and what is important to us, it doesn't seem as bad. It isn't as intense of a rivalry as it would have been. Right. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago. And what's unfortunate is as siblings grow and some siblings grow up, recognize the dysfunction, they address it themselves, they work it out. Then I've seen, and this exists, and listener, I'm sure you can relate, if not in your own family and friends and people you know, that the siblings may work that out and kind of resolve and reconcile, but yet still happens with the parents if favoritism was was shown. Yeah, but even in that scenario, and I'm just going to speak from personal experience, Let's say there's three of you and one seems to be favored over the other two. What I'm seeing in my personal situation is the two that don't feel like the favorites get over it and they realize it isn't about them. It's about the parents. Yeah, that's a good point. Very good point. And at some point you just say, look, even though they're parents, I can't change them at this point. I'm going to behave in the way I think is appropriate. And if they're going to keep behaving like that, that's their decision. That is a very good point. Very well taken. And that, and that's that's the encouragement and hope to give. Or, um, yeah, I, I think so. They said, I'm, yeah. I'm a, what's the phrase? A man of a certain age. Men of a certain age. Yeah. That was a great show, by the way. I, I loved that I show. I loved we'll, it. We'll talk about that another Yes, episode. I, I loved that. That one. should have been renewed. I did too. I was, on and on and I'm on. I'm still upset that it's yeah, not. Yeah, it was a great it wasn't. show. Being of that age, it was probably even more important to me at the time I was watching it. But yeah, I think that's, for me, that's the hope. I mean, I have control over how I behave. I have decisions to make. You can't blame it on your parents forever. That's just my perspective on it. And at some point, you are an adult. You have to take responsibility for how you're living. And I know there's a lot of psychiatry patients that we <laughs> see for decades that can't get past that hump. Like exactly. My mom did this or my yeah. dad did this when I was six. Okay. Yeah. When are you going to let go of that? No, that's a very, that's your decision to make. Exactly. That's, that's exactly, that's a great perspective and it's an accurate perspective and it's the right healthy way to look at it. And so I spoke a little bit about, I don't know if mine's genuine favoritism, but it was a dysfunction. That's very clear. But for me, it, it wasn't just that. It was also, I had emotional neglect and abandonment. My parents really didn't give me the care and attention that I needed. They right. stopped raising me because they put all their energy into my brother when he had his accident i was just 12 so after i became an adult and finally started to mature which it took a lot for me i mean i came along later i think my emotional maturity was a little it was delayed is probably the right word yeah i mean when i hear about your family story i don't want to say this is justifiable from your parents perspective but it seems to be common if there is a tragedy exactly that energy gets focused on one individual over another and uh like i said i don't want to insinuate in any form that your story is normal, but given the tragedies that your family experienced, I can understand how it ended up that way. I have that perspective and appreciate it. But I I think what's hurtful in that is at the age of 13 or 14, I had some wisdom to be aware of that. And so I presented that, Mm -hmm. presented that to my mom and dad and said, Mm -hmm. I understand. And I laid out the scenario from their perspective. And I said, I understand that. So don't give me this as a reason or a response to what I'm about to say. But I'm still here. There's still a lot of years that I need to be raised. And I'm still here to be raised. And you need to raise me. And then the exact response they gave was exactly what I had already laid out and asked them not to say. So... I appreciate that that perspective, but when I pointed out the dysfunction, because the reality was we could still live in that dysfunction, just try to balance it out a little bit. I, I wasn't asking for much. I was just saying, hey, I'm still here. Right. And we're living on an extreme. I'm being completely abandoned and completely neglected over here. And then they didn't do that. And so then right. my attitude from that was, 
well, the rest of my life is going to be an F-bomb to you, you know, and, uh, just, sure. just kidding in some way. But when I finally did mature, that's, that's what I went. Because of all those things, I went through many, many years where I was like, some, they've got to make this right. And then it got to a point where that wasn't going to happen. Right. And so then I wanted, to be, I wanted it all to be justified in some way. And then I got to a point where that wasn't going to happen. And then I finally got to a point where I could say, okay, what's the best way I can do to reconcile this? And so it's that same advice that you're giving. It's just I, I took ownership. Right. I realized it. And I think the advice that you have given is good. Listener, if you if if this is hitting home with you in any way, what Kevin said is the is the best advice that I could offer as well. And that is to say, understand that that dysfunction exists, but it's not about you. It's not about your siblings. It's about wherever that favoritism is coming from. Whether it's your biological parent or whether it's your guardian or a grandparent or wherever it is or whoever was raised you or has been responsible for you, that's where it's from. Well, you asked about you wanted to have hope. And I think your story is hopeful. We really didn't have anything that was traumatic growing up. When I try to put myself in your shoes. That's amazing that you've over, I'll use the word overcome, may not be the right word, but to have gotten through what you got through and at a critical age in your development, both physically and emotionally, psychologically, we all know what the teen years are like. Yeah. <laughs> to me, it's a credit to God in your life and the fact that you are willing to step up and say, I have free will. I can go down that path or I can go down this path. And I think you've chosen the right path. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate all of those words. Kevin, what's a television show that you really don't want to admit that you watched and enjoyed because it was so bad? Or the worst show? It was a bad show. I'll tell you a movie that comes to mind immediately. Porky's. Oh, yes. I saw it in the theater when it came out. I was probably about 16 years old. Thought it was hilarious. I watched it as a, what was I, 45 to 50-year-old adult male. Thought it was the dumbest movie I'd ever seen. Yeah, and it is quite dumb. It really was. And I'm sitting there watching it as an adult going, why did I think this was funny? And then I had to remember, oh yeah, it was a 15 or 16-year-old boy. That's why it was funny. And that was produced in the midst of a lot, of, I mean, just a whole catalog at that time of movies that were being produced that were campy, yeah. And teen, yes. uh, not, I wouldn't even say teen angst. It wasn't angst. It was just teen hormone. <laughs> yeah, teen hormones. <laughs> right. And there were a ton of them. Yeah. There was Porky's, and Porky's had a sequel, maybe yeah, two. My tutor was in that group, and uh, Private Lessons was in that group. They, never they, saw they it. were, I wouldn't put Fast Times in that category. That's a, That was different. You know, I've never seen that. I've got a story about Fast Times. I wouldn't put that in there, but there, were, but there was a lot of adventure. them. Uh, it was a very popular thing to put out movie after movie after movie like that. Mm hmm. And there was one that I love, the movie called The Sure Thing. 80. Cross country trip, meet a date? Yes. To meet, yeah, to meet a sure thing. Yes. And so it could have fit that same genre. It was in the middle of that whole group of films that were produced that yeah. way. They were all camped in there together. And The Sure Thing had the right theme, had the, had the theme that matched the other themes. But what set it apart and made it exceptional was the fact that it didn't do that. Right. It actually had a great story. It had a good it had a good plot. It had character development. It wasn't dumb. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was great. I'll have to think about the TV show, but the, the movie was pretty easy for me because, I, like I said, I watched it 30 years apart. It just went, God, this is stupid. Why did I think this was funny? Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll give the TV show some thought. TV show, I don't know. I'd have to think about when I was a kid. What did I watch as a kid that I'd be embarrassed about? I mean, Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> Hogan's Heroes might have been. I liked Hogan's one Heroes. Of them. I did like Hogan's Heroes, but... Since yeah. it's on the in the top ten of that fifties list, five. 
Yeah, it was in the top five. Jeez. This has been quite an episode. Yeah. We got to talk about uh, things we weren't expecting, like weather. Yeah. I don't think we were expecting to talk about favoritism, but that turned out to be a good topic. But it's time to go. Time to wrap this one up. Yep, I got to get to work. Listener, I hope you stayed with us, uh, and we're glad that you've joined us. Uh, reach out to us on Twitter. Send us a comment, whatever it is you would like to say. Or maybe you have a question. Still waiting on those. I shouldn't say waiting on them. <laughs> Uh, you know, when there's only three or four of you out there, uh, six. we're going to be waiting a long time. Yeah, I guess we should have six, John and Joan in Chicago. So thanks for uh, being with us. We hope you have a good day and a good life and a good everything. Uh, take care. And that's it. That is it. This podcast is for the purposes of education, information, and entertainment only, and is under replacement for the professional services of a financial advisor, financial planner, spiritual clergy, spiritual counselor, or spiritual director. Any views or opinions provided by the podcast host and guest are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. 